You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Galatians 4, verse 8. Last week, we've been going through a series and through the book of Galatians, just kind of taking it one passage at a time. And last week, we talked about how uh, Paul basically highlighted the depth of the Galatians' digression. They had, they had to, to have a life of legalism is actually immature. It's actually childlike. It's not, you'd think it's spiritual maturity to be keeping every little perfect law, but it's actually immaturity, digression. And then he mentioned the hope of their progression because there's still the gospel. He gave them a little miniature gospel presentation, unless we should assume that everyone knows. And then the excess of their possession, right? That means we have this incredibly intimate relationship with Christ. We cry out to him and he cries out for us, right? The excess of God's grace is too great to comprehend. And the Galatians were treating it like children. And children have no concept of certain things, extreme value, like grace. Well, there's another problem with children. And that's that they could grow to believe that they can get away with anything. You know, when they're kids, you say, oh, they're just kids. But when they get older, they may think they're still kids. So in our passage today, Paul says, in effect, you've been acting like children. But let me just warn you, just because you're acting like children doesn't mean you won't be tried as adults. And so let's go to Galatians 4, verse 8, and see how uh, Paul rolls this out. And why don't we stand back up? Sorry for the calisthenics. And uh, let's... It's a short passage this morning. These are the words of God, Galatians 4. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. Formerly, formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's, little g. But now that you've come to know God, big G, (laughs) or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I want to ask Chad Wolf to come and ask God's blessings on the message today. All right, I'll I'll ask the blessing today. Maybe there's something wrong there. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And uh, we pray that you would be with the message today, God. I pray that you would be with those who are sick and hurting at home. Pray to those that are uh, attempted to get out on the lake today in this rain. And I pray that you would bring those into our fellowship, God, that you want to be here to serve and minister through this church. God, help me. Help me to preach your word faithfully. God, help me. Help my life and my heart to be right with you. And I pray that our people today would connect with you. It's not enough to walk into a church and sit down and listen and leave. We want to hear from you. And so we pray that you would do that as we look at your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
sorry. Chad, just so y'all know, Chad actually has been having some uh, issues with his throat. So that wasn't a, uh, you know, a bailout on his part. I just, I'm sorry about that, Chad. All right. It, it's all fun and games when you're a kid. All right. Uh, your, your crimes don't even show up after you turn 18. Half you knuckleheads probably went to juvie when you were kids, but no one knows that because it doesn't show up on your background checks when you serve in our nursery back there, all right? But the Galatians weren't kids. They may have been acting childish, but the crimes they were committing had adult-sized punishments. And so Paul, in what almost seems like a pendulum of, uh, of bad cop, good cop, swings back to bad cop, right? And it's almost like he uses the Galatians' own autobiography, all right, their own, their, their own, their own history to condemn their current actions, all right? And so it begins with really the sole thing I want to talk about today, and that is religious systems, religious systems. All autobiographies start somewhere. And so Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 8, formerly, before, before, formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. They were idol worshipers. The Galatians were once part of a pagan religious system. Just because it was pagan didn't mean it didn't have structure to it. So it had all the systems. Go here. You know, maybe even have relations with this uh, fertility god, what they'd call a temple prostitute, so that you could bless your crops. There was all kinds of wicked pagan rituals back then. And that's what Paul's saying. He's taking them back. He's given them their own biography. But now, since they had been freed from that system... They were free of all that. They were, they were serving God. And now, like a, like a bug to a headlight, they just can't seem to stop themselves from finding yet another religious system to adhere to. Why is that? Why do people love religious systems? Nice little, you know, nice little checkbox religion. Why do they love it so much? Why do we love that so much? I want to give three reasons today in, our, in my message that that are the primary reasons I believe people gravitate to religious systems. And I'm going to go ahead and give you these up front and then I'll unpack them. One, self-control. Number two, seeking control. And number three, settling control. And the first, of course, is self-control. These are what we're going to call pragmatists. If y'all don't know what the word pragmatism means, it just means it works, Right? And one scholar said, if God's law does not govern our behavior, many people will reason, what will? If it's not God's law, then what's going to govern our behavior? Just seems right to us that we need some religious system to help us behave. So religious pragmatists seek measurable outcomes for conduct sake. Let me say that again. Religious pragmatists seek measurable outcomes for conduct sake. Now, their motives may be pure. They may actually at one point have wanted to just be godlier. They might have wanted to get rid of some vice. Uh, they may have been frustrated with their own sin, sin of the world, uh, sin in their heart. Maybe they've even tried other biblical methods, and they don't, those methods don't seem to be working, Right? but they grow in time to care less about the method and more about the outcome. 
Christians who are seeking holiness can easily, easily slip into becoming pragmatists because they need measurable outcomes to weigh their own holiness. But it's so easy, so easy for them to lose touch with biblical truth when they're doing that because now they're evaluating their beliefs based solely on what works, right? So if certain religious systems make me feel better morally, if they make me do better morally, then they must be a good system. That's how cults are formed, <laughs> right? I was just watching one uh, a couple weeks ago about the, you know, the one in Nashville. It's an HBO series now, a docu-series. It's incredible. Started out as a weight loss program and then turned into a cult. Pragmatic people can start looking at the results rather than the reality of a belief. When I was 14 or 15 years old, I, was, uh, I mopped the floors, swept the floors at Threadgill's Pharmacy, one of the oldest pharmacies in our oldest school pharmacies in Memphis. They were one of the last to go to computers. And uh, it was the old kind with the red and white checkered floors, the soda, the original uh, bar stools for the soda fountain, the soda jerks. Those were not mean people who served you ice cream. Soda jerks were the name of the people just trying to educate you children. All right. So I could make those and they would wear the white, almost like nursing looking pants and shirt and everything and the little hat. And they taught me how to make a mean French vanilla milkshake. Ooh. So good. And that's soda straw. I'm sorry. I... Anyway, so Mr. Threadgill was in the back in the pharmacy section and, and I was mopping the floors one day and, and, I, and he, was, he had one of those little butter knife looking things with a little counter, pill counter, and he was counting pills and then, you know, pouring them into the bottles. And I was like, hey, Dr. Threadgill, what you, what you counting today? And he goes, nothing. And I was like, well, I mean, that looks like pills to me you know I was like well it's something you know what what, what kind of pill is it? he goes ah oh, it's a sugar pill I said oh really what does it do he goes nothing I said well then why are you giving it to people and he goes well um, we have people come in here that are hypochondriacs they just think if they've got to have a pill to feel better so I just charge them a couple bucks for these and they feel better but there's really nothing to the pill. And I was like, well, okay, giving me an education here, all right? Church, listen, you need to realize that even though this motive of seeking holiness through the law, it seems noble, we even say things like, well, man, he means well. We say that a lot as Christians. Oh, they mean well. They mean well. Friend, you don't know what they mean because only the Lord <laughs> knows the heart of man. Pragmatic religious systems produce practical atheists doesn't matter if the religion is true or false as long as it produces the effect in my life that I want believe in what or whatever you want right that's popular today that's fine believe in what you want he sees you when you're sleeping he knows when you're awake he knows if you've been bad or good so be good for for goodness sake. That's why they do it. Yeah, you better watch out if that's, if that's your religion because Santa ain't your judge and jury. <laughs> if the reality of faith in Jesus doesn't matter, right? If, it's, if it just makes you feel better, go for it. Friend, that is 
blasphemous and satanic. John MacArthur says, common sense involves a measure of legitimate pragmatism, doesn't it? If a dripping faucet works fine after you replace the washers, for example, it's reasonable to assume that bad washers were the problem. But when pragmatism is used to make judgments about right and wrong, or when it becomes a guiding philosophy of life and ministry, it inevitably clashes with Scripture. Spiritual and biblical truth is not determined by testing what works and what doesn't. Why? Because we know from Scripture, for example, that the gospel often does not produce a positive response. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't work then. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They don't work for him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. On the other hand, satanic lies and deception can be quite effective. Matthew 24, verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs, little c, and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, that doesn't mean they won't come back, but they'll even be, they can be led astray. Majority reaction is no test of validity. <laughs> God help us if majority rules today, friend. Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. By the way, prosperity is no measure of truthfulness either. Job 12 verse 6 says, the tents of robbers are at peace and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand, little g. Idol worshipers are secure. They are for now. So pragmatism as a guiding philosophy of ministry is inherently flawed. Pragmatism as a test of truth is nothing short of satanic. One reason people gravitate toward religious systems is self-control, the pragmatic, seeing measurable outcomes, seeking measurable outcomes for conduct's sake alone. Second is seeking control. These are what we'll call the narcissist. Pragmatists seek measurable outcomes for conduct's sake. Narcissists set measurable outcomes for control. They don't seek them, they set them. Webster Dictionary defines religion as a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. And it's not like the word itself, like religion itself is not taboo to say, right? The Bible actually mentions religion. Uh, Paul says in Acts 26, verses 4 through 6, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if, if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, that pharisaical religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because, because of my hope in the 
promise, there's the difference between religion and what we have, religion versus a promise made by God to our fathers. And it wasn't just believers who mentioned the word religion. Felix and Festus were governors uh, when Paul was imprisoned in uh, Caesarea for two years. And when King Agrippa came to town in Acts 25, 14, it says Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. So Felix is cashing out, leaving his post and didn't ever deal with Paul, left it for the next guy to deal with. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. All right. Well, Felix went on to say in Acts 25, 19, rather they, the Pharisees, had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. That sums it up, doesn't it? Their own religion. Their motives have nothing to do with measuring their own conduct. Their motives are for measuring your conduct. <laughs> Not themselves. They set the laws. They govern the laws. They are the law. They'd like to make you think they're just in it to help you follow those laws, but they're in it for man's control. It's not so different for us today. Different methods, but same motive. Church, I do want and desire for you as a church and myself to live for God. I want, I want your hearts, I want our hearts to be after God, to serve Him. And I do, on occasion, rebuke certain church members. And I don't like, not like punch them in the face or anything. I've got a couple of you I'd like to talk to after church about that, but just kidding. I couldn't take most of you, except Todd Baker, I could take him. <laughs> Amen, there you go. I, I just have some backup. I'd have to have two or three of you jump in on that one. No, but I, I, I rebuke people from time to time. I just to point out things. And, and people have rebuked me, by the way. They've said, hey, why'd you do this or why'd you do that? And I welcome it, right? But I don't ever, God help me, want to manipulate this congregation with guilt, false guilt. Right now, I may share the gospel or share the Bible, a biblical truth with you that goes against whatever you're doing, and you may feel convicted. But I don't want that conviction to come from me. God help me, Right? I, I, even, I don't even like it when people, and no offense to y'all if you've done that to me, I don't like it when people come up to me and say, you stepped on my toes today, preacher. Now, I know they just probably mean the Bible, the, the sermon did, right? But I don't want to step on your toes. I want to be your buddy. I want to be everybody's friend. I don't want any conflict. Let's just all be, play nice, you know? But the Word of God is, has a lot of rebuke in it. And sometimes we have to give that. But I don't want to do it to control your actions. Like I want something more from you. I want you to have the joy of godliness. Because I know what it's like when I don't have it. And I know what it's like when I do. And I love it when people come up to me and, and they tell me about how they've, um, how the Lord's restored their marriage. They tell me about how they've quit some addiction. They quit sleeping with their girlfriend or something. They started giving their, of their first fruits. I don't know what it is. Maybe they shared Christ for the first time. I say, praise God. Good job. I rejoice because I know that's the Holy Spirit at work in the life of that individual, not me. Shepherds and all spiritual leaders, because some of y'all are going to go on to other churches one day. You know, you'll move, you'll marry, you'll move somewhere. And I want you to hear this. Shepherds and spiritual leaders, and all Christians for that matter, 
should want conviction to come from Christ and his word and the Holy Spirit, not from a man's clever manipulation. You be leery when you sit in a pulpit, even a Baptist pulpit, where you start to feel manipulated by the preacher. And that goes for me too. Come on, get in my face if I do that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. I'm kind of scared when I love <laughs> to hear. <laughs> when, I, when I walk away from a message and I walk away talking about the, the speaker more than what the speaker said, I think of this verse. I don't want to empty... Uh, the gospel of its power. And that's why I just don't preach as good as I could. <laughs> There's my excuse. Church, the sad thing is, hey, this is still happening in our evangelical churches today. We have a cult of personality creeping in. It's been creeping in. It never left. And it, it causes churches to veer off the path of biblical doctrine. And it usually ends with the leader amassing a small fortune somewhere and in full control of the, of the congregation, leaving the people in awe, you know. Those Judaizers, they were pumped that the Galatians left their old pagan religious idolatrous system because they had a new system to sell them. <laughs> you know, oh, good. You left that one. Well, I got another one for you and I'll be able to control you if you come under it. But God says in Mark seven, verse six, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Speaking of traditions. We've, I don't have anything against pews, right? But uh, they are a little outdated. I mean, I don't know if mauve or red is still in. Maybe y'all have it in your house. That's precious. I'm so happy for you. Uh, I've got some uh, interior decorators to recommend after the service. That was a joke. That was a joke, okay? But we had someone in our church. Uh, I was going to wait till next year to, to get rid of our pews, not get rid of them, replace them with chairs because we can fit more people and have other configurations in here. Um, but someone, two families in the church actually donated money to buy these chairs. Pretty comfortable too, actually. All right, just giving you a little preview. There, I think they're coming. They're going to be delivered in October. The, the, the ones, the pews in here that have been donated on behalf of someone, in memory of someone who's deceased, those will be offered back to the families if they wish, and then we'll hopefully transition out. But I was just kind of giving you, that's a tradition. Pews are a tradition. Doggone it, don't take away my pews, you know. My grandmother sat on a pew, I'm sitting on a pew. Well, actually, your great-great-grandfather sat on the ground. You want to sit on the ground? You know? I mean, if we want to go way back to tradition, we can get a rock out and you can sleep on that tonight, all right? Don't wear no loongies in here next Sunday, all right? Little, little towel wraps and pieces of leather, all right? My point is, I'm thankful that we have a church that picks her heels wisely. I'm just using that as an illustration. It's a real-life illustration. Color of the carpet, color of the walls, pews, whether we sing from a hymnal or sing from the screen. I can't see a hymnal, so it wouldn't matter, you know. But we, we want to do things that honor God. We want what we do to be doctrinal, and we want what we do to minister to the culture around us. Amen? Yeah. I, and I'm thankful that you're like that. What the law promises, it cannot deliver, but what grace promises can actually help you keep the law. Not under the control of some cult of personality, 
And, and by the way, these days, the cult of personalities help you avoid the law. <laughs> Used to, they would help you, you know, it's more strict, keep, keep, keep. But nowadays, it's like, forget it. Let's just go around. Let's just skip over these laws altogether. And that's just as equally as wicked. Anyway, self-control, the pragmatist, seeking control, the narcissist, and third, settling control. I call these the minimalist. The pragmatist love religious systems to seek measurable outcomes for conduct. The narcissist love religious systems to set measurable outcomes for control. But the minimalist love religious systems to see measurable outcomes for comparisons. Ooh, nice, right? When we're guided by the Spirit, we can't control or compare ourselves with others. Why? Well, because Proverbs 17 verse 3 says, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, the Lord tests the hearts. Ooh, I don't want him doing that. I want to do that. I want to test the hearts. I prefer the crucible. I can, that way I can measure those uh, holiness quantitatively and compare myself with others, right? But what God's word says is that a man could keep the, the law of God perfectly and still be a lost man. And another man may not be keeping the law of God purposely. He may be struggling with some addiction or some sin in his life. He wants rid of it. He's trying. He's seeking God. But he may be a born-again, sold-out follower of Christ. His, but the outside just may not look like that right now. That is the kingdom of God, friend. <laughs> the guy that you think's the worst among you may actually be the one seeking God the most in his heart. And this is going to screw everything up, isn't it? That's not neat and tidy. That's messy and sloppy. Reminds me of one of my favorite Bible verses, Proverbs 14, 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Ooh, look how nice. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. And you know what those oxen do in those stalls? They make a mess. We make a mess, don't we? People make a mess. And relationships are a whole lot sloppier than religion. If I can just come in and not talk to anybody and check this box off, you know, then I'm good to go. That's not what God wants. God wants relationship, not religious systems. Malachi 1 verse 10 is a crazy verse. He basically says, shut the doors of your church. Shut the doors of the temple. Listen, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Stop trying to please God with your hands while you leave your heart at home. And I know that I'm speaking to, preaching to the choir in many ways, because this is, you know, Labor Day weekend, the weekend to travel, and here you are prioritizing the Lord's house and, and the Word of God. I, I thank God for that. But it doesn't mean <laughs> that your heart is fully His, right? Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can't build it and you can't protect it. That's God's job. Amen. All right? Praise God. God's laws and all the unbiblical traditions that we attach to it are not meant to be a spiritual barometer for us to compare our own self-righteousness to that of our friend, our neighbor, 
Minimalists don't care about being over others. Oh, that seems humble. They don't care about being over you just as long as they're better than you. Usually with the least amount of effort too. They want to be better, but without all the work. Minimalists minimalist love checkbox check religion because they can pluck out of Scripture the laws they choose to rate other people's faith. And by the way, the laws that they pluck are usually the laws they're already obeying anyway. They don't have to try, you know. God forbid we actually search the Scriptures and see if there be any wicked way in us and try to work on another new area of our life. Reasons people love religious systems. Self-control, the pragmatist, seeking measurable outcomes for conduct's sake. Seeking control, the narcissist, setting measurable outcomes for control's sake. And settling control, the minimalist, seeing measurable outcomes for comparison's sake. Listen, all three of these reasons for building our religious systems have one thing at their core. The devil. Satan promotes self in all of us. Now, even if we're naive and pure-hearted, the pragmatist is still like an atheist, right? They trade method over outcome. I've counseled many people who have said, well, we're doing these biblical things, Pastor, but, uh, you know, it's just not working. It doesn't mean it's not right. There are, there's a thing in our world called free will, and other people have it. And you can't force them to do what you're asking and pleading with them to do. That's the Holy Spirit's job, even your own kids. Now, I know when your kid's younger and under your roof, you can control those things. But there comes a, a, a time, you know, post, you know, a, a adulthood. And that adulthood is not necessarily 18. It may be 13. It may be 8, 15 for some. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And there comes a time where things get beyond what you can control and you have to trust the Lord with it. I say, stay the course, trust his word. The narcissist may not uh, have become one overnight. Maybe it all started out with some genuine, heartfelt, spiritual accountability, right? May have started as a good thing, but it turned in, their spiritual assessment turned into control of others and they became hypocritical control freaks themselves. And the minimalists may enjoy the morality the law provides, but their real joy is in the comparison. So they can be the biggest holy fish in their little holy pond, right? Matthew 23, 23 talks about that. Three motives with pride and the devil at their core. Church, listen, long before the Galatians had trusted in the only true and living God, they'd been immersed in idol worship. Right? One scholar explained that they had been serving false gods like Zeus, Hermes, Diana, and Aphrodite. Why after, why, after becoming free in Jesus Christ and becoming adult sons with all the rights and privileges of sonship, would they want to go back under the slavery of the same kind of religious system? Why? Because, because religion is man's attempt to do good in order to please God and be saved. It's man's system of good works in contrast to God's work, which is the finished work of Christ. Religion constantly confuses people and it blinds them to God's truth of grace. We heard a testimony on the men's fishing trip from a brother who was in a religious system and he was confused by it because what he was seeing at home and what he was hearing there, that nothing matched and it's confusing and it blinds people to God's truth of grace. Satan's greatest delusion is to get people so caught up in religious activity that they can't see that God and Jesus Christ had done everything necessary to give them life and peace. 
Even after people discover God's wonderful grace, it's so easy. There is always a fleshly tendency to want to go back under an ego-feeding religious system of works. Galatians 4.9 says, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. What are you, what are you doing? I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Paul wanted the Galatians to see how demonic, how satanic their actions were. He's saying, you were worshiping idols before, you're still worshiping idols. It's just a different idol. It doesn't fit in your hand anymore. It's this other bigger, fatter religious system. Ooh, that's so much better than idolatry, but it's nothing. It's no different. It's the same thing, rinse and repeat. Stop. He wanted them to stop. God wants us to stop trying to compare ourselves and listen we have to answer to God and some of us say that as an arrogant plea to do whatever we want to do well, I don't have to answer to you I only answer to God and you use it as an excuse to actually sin but it should be the excuse to live for God right hey he's watching me and he knows and I want to please him I don't really care if I'm where he's at or she's at in my faith, I'm not where they're at right now, but I want to get, I want to be there. And it's good to have biblical examples around us in Christ. That's good. That's not a bad thing. As long as we don't just compare ourselves. Because the pedestal only has one on it, and that's Jesus Christ. He earned his right on that pedestal, didn't he? Now, it's going to seem a little bit odd uh, to speak against religious systems and then have the Lord's Supper. Because it seems, Lord's Supper seems like a religious system, but it's not. The Lord's Supper is a reminder. It's a teaching moment for the church. It speaks not only to the grace of Christ, but listen, it speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus. If you don't know what exclusivity it means, not everybody's going to heaven. And you don't choose that and I don't choose that. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the bread and the wine are a reminder of why Jesus is the only way. He's the only relationship that makes it possible for us to live forever and as for live forever forgiven and live forever in heaven. That's only through Jesus. So I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, <laughs> you're going to be free to get up and go to one of the Lord's Supper stations throughout the church. There's five of them. If you go to one and it's empty, you can go to another. There's enough, I think, for everyone in here this morning. And you'll just take the two cups. The bottom one's the bread, the top one's the wine. You can return to your seats and you can take the Lord's Supper at will. I'm not going to cue you any further to take the elements. All right? Let me read this. It's a self-explanatory passage. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, uh, drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, every time you do it, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drink, eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, meaning if we said, okay, God, we're sinners, search us. Show us our sin so we can confess it and be forgiven. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, I want to ask you all to stand. I've asked Hunter to play this song this morning. It's a song that he let me listen to a while back that he actually wrote. And I was like, I basically forced him to play it this morning. I was like, you need to play that in two weeks uh, during our Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to pray and then you can go to uh, get the Lord's Supper, the elements and return to your seat. And then we'll have the invitation. As we move into the time of invitation, it's a time for anyone who's not publicly professed Christ to come forward and do that. It's also a time for those uh, uh, people in our church that want to become members to do that. Listen, I know that we don't have to fill out a piece of paper to be a member of God's kingdom. Okay, I believe in the universal church, but I also believe in the local church. And we're under a corporate body called the church, right? And we, we have insurance system set up to protect the people that work in the church and we do background checks and all those things so in case you're ever wondering why we are kind of particular about church membership it is it's to protect you to protect the church and to show some sign of commitment to this process it's not just flippantly that we do it i know it's not a biblical thing to fill out that paper but it does have a practical use it's not unbreakable but it's what we do as a church Lord, we love you. We praise you. We lift up these elements to you right now. God, it's you we're worshiping. We're not worshiping this piece of bread. We're not worshiping this, this small glass of juice and wine. We, we're worshiping you. We're reminded of you. They represent you. They're a teaching moment. They sh allow us a moment to show, uh, our, tell our children like, hey, you're not ready for this because you've not called on the name of the Lord. They give us a moment to reflect and say, hey, where is my heart with God? Do I have any unconfessed sin? Lord, if I do, show me. Lord, I confess you the sins that I do know, but I don't know all my sins, so you're going to have to help me. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have and take the elements today in a way that honors you, protects us, <laughs> and teaches others. Lord, I pray for any that have not called on the name of the Lord for the invitation time, that they would make it public today. See how much you love them. See how much you desire them not to be in a religious system, but to be in a relationship with you. And I pray for others that may want to uh, become members of our church and begin to serve. Lord, let them know uh, that their work through the Lord is honored by you and commanded in Scripture in Ephesians 4 and, and other places, Lord. We love you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.